If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and our episode today, friends, is going to be with David Heitzman, and we're going to be talking about all things sabbatical. David just took a sabbatical. He's the chief executive of the Sacramento LGBT Center, so we're going to be talking about preparing for a sabbatical, returning from a sabbatical, and of course, the most important thing, enjoying your sabbatical and getting the most out of it. As I mentioned, David is the CEO of the Sacramento LGBT Center. What I've not mentioned is that he also was a political consultant for nearly 20 years, and he did everything on campaigns from events to logistics and more. Last thing, friends, that I just want you all to know, this is kind of a special recording session for me because it is my last one before sabbatical. I'm recording this in the month of May. It should be released sometime during my sabbatical itself. And I will just share with you, friends, in preparation for the sabbatical, we've actually had three recording dates in May, but it means that when I come back, I won't be crushed with a deadline for recording episodes. I think we currently have episodes recorded through sometime in October. Hey, David, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dolph. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it is always good to see you again, my friend. And I figured where we might get started is where most people, when you tell them you've been on a sabbatical, want to ask, what'd you do? Sure. Well, I'll say exactly what I said when people asked what I was going to do on my sabbatical, which is sleep and travel and just have time that was completely disconnected from the work. You and I are friends on Facebook, so I followed some of your travels. When you say you traveled, you really traveled. I did. I spent about a month in Europe, particularly in Scandinavia. I went to Puerto Vallarta for a week. I spent some time in New York, spent some time with my dad on the lovely peninsula in Washington State in the rainforest. A little bit of everything, actually. It was great. It was really, really great. Wow, that is awesome. And so you also said you spent time just sleeping. One of the great things about sabbatical is that you don't have to be anywhere. So it was you know, one of my sort of unspoken rules that I was going to sleep as late as I wanted pretty much every day, which is not something you have the luxury of doing when you're working. What time did you start going to bed and what time did you start waking up? 
it actually didn't change that much. I got to sleep in as late as I wanted, but I still was getting up at nine in the morning probably and had the opportunity to work out and stuff that I don't normally have the time to do just at my own pace. That's incredible. And so how long was your sabbatical? It was three months. And written into my contract, it was a minimum of eight weeks. And I took an extra month of vacation time with that. So I had 12 weeks of sabbatical. And I like the fact that you said it was written into your contract, your employment agreement as your organization's chief executive. Yep, that's right. Uh, highly recommend that. And so would you be willing to share, like, every how many years do you get a sabbatical? The way my contract's written, I am given a minimum eight-week sabbatical for every five years of service. It was actually about six and a half years almost before I was able to take it, the pandemic and a variety of other things. But for every five years of service, that's how mine is written. And so when you walked into the job, did you negotiate that as part of your initial agreement or did that happen later? It did happen later. So I had, when I came into the job, I didn't have a contract. I didn't have anything for the first two years, but on the advice of many other CEOs around the country, really leaned into getting myself a contract. And the previous executive director said had them. So it wasn't that much of a fight with the board or anything to get a contract. But the things that were in the contract, I had to think about what I really wanted and what I needed. And certainly the advice of other colleagues was that there's no amount of money that can really replace the time for rest and replenishment that a sabbatical brings. And so I really didn't work to negotiate that in as essential. And so when you started to negotiate that in, do you have some tips for our friends who are listening as if they want to negotiate with their board? What are some good ways to go about doing it? One is an increasingly best practice. Two, if your goal is to keep your chief executive for a longer period of time and have some continuity of leadership and their continued energy to do all of the amazing things that you want them to do, it really can help with that in keeping folks able to keep doing the job. So those are the things that I understand that it sounds odd to just have a completely work-free break. It's not like in academia where you're expected to go on a speaking tour, write a book, or do research or whatever. It really is intended to be restful and restorative. Right. There was no end product your center was looking for when you came back. Right. No end product. It was no contact. In fact, the entirety of my sabbatical with some like specific conditions that they could reach out to me if something came up. And what were those conditions? Things like not to be too morbid, but if somebody passed away or if the center got like a giant gift of some kind and there was like a $100,000 swing one way or the other, there was a short list of emergency kind of situations, flood, fire, like critical disaster. And the board president and the acting CEO would need to agree to call me in order to make that happen. I like that there had to be an agreement between the two. So one could not just say, oh, this is important. I'm going to do it. Yep. You know, I tried hard to put together a good job manual and to work with the board president and to work with the person that's going to be the acting CEO. And you just can't prepare for everything. So you have to kind of set up some parameters in which they can use a framework for making good decisions and then trust that it's going to be okay. And that's a good segue for us to talk about how you prepared for your sabbatical. I know you mentioned you were supposed to get one every five years and then COVID hit. So clearly you started to prepare and then you're like, wait, not a good time. I mean, there's really never a good time. It doesn't feel there's inevitably going to be some situation that was unforeseen or is happening, right? Like staff departures or audit delays or a big fundraiser or like some something that's not on time. And you just can't, you can't know when that's going to happen. So I kind of at some point had to put a 
stake in the ground and say, this is what it's going to be. And even then I kept pushing it a few weeks, <laughs> a few weeks until I just, I, I was near a breaking point and I knew that I had to go or I wasn't going to be able to continue doing the job. And that is where I do think you are so right. When we talk to boards, this is also about keeping your executive director. Sometimes your ED just needs a nice long break. Yeah. And part of it, like I said, was it being completely work and contact free? So there was an out-of-office reply on my email that said, essentially, I will never see this email. If you need something, you should email one of these people or contact my assistant. I'm never going to see this message. So you have two choices. You can either contact one of these people or you can send this again when I come back from sabbatical on such and such a date. And then I had information about sabbaticals and the point of them and why what why I was doing it and what it was what it was about. And there was no way that I was going to come back from the sabbatical to thousands and thousands and thousands of emails and try and like ruin my restful time by powering through them. Nor did I was I going to expect someone else to be monitoring my email and responding to folks either. So I just made it real clear that I was never going to see this. My assistant went in and deleted all those messages so I couldn't even go search for them in the future. And it did sort of lay off the pressure of that. And, you know, I said no one's ever going to see this, but in reality, she actually was taking a look and skimming for any like really important things that might get missed and then forwarding those to the acting CEO. So I did a light skim and said, okay, this is important enough to forward. Yeah. And there were a handful of things like we were waiting for responses from a funder and stuff like that, that I was the only contact for. And so there were a few things that I knew might pop up in there. So publicly, it was, a, I'm never going to see this. But in reality, someone was skimming through for things that might be super important that weren't going to land in anyone else's inbox. And so I have to ask, so you come back, obviously, there's inbox zero. Did you later find out there was an email that was deleted that you regret having never seen? No. That's awesome. I thought that's what you were going to say. I just wanted to make sure. No, because you don't know what's missing there in... I even had a text message that I would had saved in my notes that if someone texted me or called, I would send this back to them if it was business related. Like, here's the acting CEO. I am out on sabbatical for the time period and treated my that just like I had an out of office reply on text messages too. Because a lot of people did have my cell phone and I was disconnected. That's awesome. So it sounds like to prepare, obviously, you thought through what your messaging was going to be on email and on text. Your board chair and your acting chief executive talked about like where it would be okay for you to be interrupted on your sabbatical. How did you select who would be the acting CEO while you were gone? So there's kind of two ways to go, right? You can either get someone who's going to be the interim from the outside and it's going to just step in temporarily for that role. Or you can use it more as an organizational development, professional development tool and choose someone from inside the organization to elevate for the time period, which is what I thought was going to be the best for our organization is a good professional development opportunity for our chief program officer, who also had sort of the most longevity and the most information about the organization. And I felt that I trusted to make the decisions and have oversight over things while I was out. And so how far in advance did you choose the chief program officer? Uh, about six months, I think, at least. I should say I got agreement from him that this said it was going to be him about six months in advance. I had in my mind that it was probably going to be him for quite a while. And what were some of the things you did to prepare him to really take over while you were gone? 
Yeah. So you can't come up with every possible scenario and say, this is what you should do in this scenario. But I sort of gave him a framework of how I approach certain decisions, particularly ones that are could be potentially controversial. And then I also put together a job manual that listed out like important critical contacts. It was a short list of, in case something happens, break the glass and call these people. I gave some context about things that were going to have to happen while I was out, like creating a budget and how sort of I approached that staff things. There were also other rules like no big changes to the board or no terminations of folks, unless you've called me. That was one of the things on the list is is if something goes awry, you should call me before we terminate someone on the leadership team. But generally, I just wanted to give him some insights about how I thought about different things and how I sort of approached. In making this decision, what's the risk for the agency financially, like from a public relations perspective, from a legal perspective, And then make the best decision that you can that you think is the right thing to do. You don't necessarily have to think about what would David do, particularly if it's not something that's permanent or has huge implications for the long term of the organization. And what about preparing your leadership team? So obviously you've selected one peer of theirs to run things while you're gone. How did you prepare the rest of the leadership team? So for some of the other members of the leadership team, I had written expectations about things I wanted them to accomplish. Some of them were newer to the team. I didn't have that much time with them before I went out. So I tried to lay out some expectations in writing. And I kind of had meetings where I just talked about what my expectations were and how they should think about prioritizing things while I was out. I was really clear that Kobe was going to be the acting CEO and he was going to be acting in my stead when I was out. So he was in charge, even though normally he's one of their peers. And then I also worked with the board and the board president to kind of help ensure that they treated him just the way that they would treat me if I was in, that there weren't any end runs around the board president or around the acting CEO while I was out. And the same thing from staff, that staff weren't going around the acting CEO to the board for things either. And then just like had conversations with the leadership team about what they should expect and what they needed to do sort of broadly in the organization. And for us, at least, there was a lot of things going on at the time and some vacancies. And so they really had to pull together as a team to ensure that we were able to continue delivering services. It happened right as the monkeypox outbreak hit. And so for me, that was one of the more difficult things is reading in the news about monkeypox and knowing that we need to respond immediately and you need to put pressure on the county and you need to put pressure on the state to do these things, get those vaccines from CDC. And so I was seeing those things in the news and knowing what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. And it was hard to not like send them messages and say, do this, do that. Right. To have to remind yourself, oh yeah, my passport's about to go get stamped somewhere and I should not be doing this. Yeah. And certainly advice that I got about leave going on sabbatical is like plan a trip at the beginning and so that you can have that clean break. And because my the beginning of my sabbatical was sort of shifting in time frame, I didn't have that plan until I actually went out on sabbatical. And so, but then I quickly planned a trip that was going to start like within a week. And when I got on the plane is really when things cut off communication. And so you've talked about preparing your senior leadership team and your board, and you've also mentioned, you know, setting some boundaries with all of the staff. Were there any concerns that were raised by staff members, like a what happens if or, you know, anything like that? Not really. Yeah, the parameters were really around if something really amazing happens, like we get a giant gift of some kind, or if something horrible happens, it's going to cost the agency hundreds of thousands of dollars or 
there's some major scandal or whatever, those things would be things I would want to know about. But I also had to just largely trust that the board president and the acting CEO would figure it out together and that we had an emergency succession plan that sort of outlined how the senior leadership team would make decisions in short-term absences. And so they were already kind of accustomed to that in short-term absences as well. I'm trying to think of anything that really came up. The overall message was no big changes in these three months. So don't be asking for a raise. Don't be asking for new titles. Don't be asking for a different office space or whatever. Just everybody do their jobs and don't try and act a fool while I'm out. And did any of that happen while you were gone? Someone asking for a raise? Hey, can I have so-and-so's office? A little bit of that happened. Yeah. But not, not, not much. And I think the acting CEO handled it very well. That's awesome. What about with funders? Like, I'm assuming you told your funders, hey, I'm going to be out for three months. I did. So I didn't want the news to come from my out-of-office reply. So our major funders, I had sent a communication to in advance. I sent an email to all of our donors in advance. I certainly had been preparing our board for a while, elected officials, stakeholders that I knew may want something or need something during that time period and just instilled all of my confidence and trust in the acting CEO and ensured that he was set up for success as much as possible. And were your funders supportive? Yeah, you know, I really didn't get much pushback or feedback about it, to be honest. I got more questions about sabbatical and what I was doing on sabbatical, and they just weren't familiar with a sabbatical at all. Wow. Okay. Because I guess it surprises me because you and I are both involved in a national association where a lot of people now are getting sabbatical. So it surprises me that funders are like, wait, sabbatical, tell me more. Yeah. I don't know a lot of local CEOs that have been on sabbatical, but I definitely am a big supporter and fan of them and highly encourage folks when they negotiate their contracts or to get that written in. If you intend to stay with your organization for a long period of time and continue to be innovative and entrepreneurial and energetic about it, you probably are going to need a break. So let's talk about your re-entry. So you've had this amazing sabbatical. You've had three months off. You can, as you say, wake up whenever you want and decide what you're going to do each day. What was that first day and that first week back in the office like? So the acting CEO was really good about ensuring that I wasn't scheduled to the max in that first week. I really didn't have things scheduled and he prepped staff that way too. I mostly spent that time kind of catching up casually with folks. I also had a conference that was going to be the week after I returned. So I think I had four or five days maybe in the office. And then we went off to the Centerlink Summit and had the opportunity to spend time with colleagues and stuff there. And for the first week or so, any meetings that I was doing or the acting CEO was doing, we kind of did them together. And I let him continue to be the one to make some of the decisions and sign off on things for, I think, a week or two in the beginning when I got back as we slowly transitioned everything back to my leadership and sign up. Did it feel odd at all to walk back into the organization that you've essentially not been running for three months? Not really, because, well, I've been in the organization 10 years, I guess, at that point, but in the role for six years as a paid staff person. And the acting CEO was really good about setting things, 
he did get a step into my office. We did some shuffling of offices while I was out to accommodate some new staff, but he had put everything back exactly the way it was when I left before I got back. So I have no idea what it looked like when I, when I was gone. Oh, so he actually rearranged the office you're currently sitting in. I emptied my desk before I left and he moved in and used the office. So I had some purple curtains that were here when I got back that are still here that weren't here when I left, but otherwise everything is as I left it. And I would say the thing that was challenging is, is that he was going to go back to being a peer of some of the other leaders in the organization. And we had had some conversations about accountability with staff and ensuring that they were accountable to organizational policies and things that had been a little more lax before I left. And that caused some friction among peers, but ultimately calmed down. And they, when I got back and I was very clear that like, this was the direction that I had given. And it's the direction I gave all of you when I left. So I don't know why you're surprised that everyone has to come to work and has to come to work on time and must fulfill the expectations that are laid out for them. And if you were to do this again, which presumably you're going to do in about five more years, actually four now, because I think you did this last summer, right? So in about four more years, you're going to do this again. What will you do differently? I would have started the planning sooner. I would have looked for a funder that could help supplement the funding for it because it did cost the agency more than it would just normally operating. Can we talk about that real quick? Like my assumption is you gave some kind of a bonus to the acting. What were some of the other costs? Yeah. So I was anticipating hiring a consultant to help us plan and to coach the acting CEO. I was able to get a great coach to provide support and Centerlink provided some support too that didn't actually end up costing us any money. But I did increase the acting CEO salary temporarily while I was out. So that cost some money and some other coaching costs that we supplemented for him as well. It could have been more expensive and I probably would have had a paid consultant you know, when I did it again. Okay. And for maybe chief executives who are thinking, oh gosh, I, I love this idea of a sabbatical and I think I got to sell it to my board. You've kind of already said the rational reason, hey, do you want to keep your chief executive? This is a best practice. What other advice do you have for a chief executive who maybe does feel the need to sell this to their board? You know, I think that we don't focus enough on organizational resiliency and longevity of leaders. I think that the nonprofit world kind of churns and burns a lot of staff. And that's just sort of an accepted norm that I don't really think is okay. And it's ultimately harmful to the organization's long-term financial health, its reputation in the community and stuff if you have a rotating door. So I think that selling it to your board is not just about you and your position and your ability to continue in the work, but it's also about the organization's resiliency and the organization's development and capacity to weather any kind of major disruption. Like what if I had been like seriously ill and hospitalized instead of this suddenly, right? So how does the organization respond? How's the organization gonna communicate and deal with a situation like that? Inevitably, every executive director is going to leave their organization at some point. So you should have a longer term succession plan Anyway, most people don't, I don't think. I mean, I don't have one yet, but I think that it's more than just about the longevity of the individual as much as the sustainability and resiliency of the organization. And one final question before we go to the off the map question. So now that you've returned from sabbatical, are you considering ways to provide additional rest, sabbatical, et cetera, to other team members at your organization? 
Yes. I haven't figured out quite how to make that work yet, but our acting CEO, he actually got a month off in the year prior as a retention tool because he's awesome. And I just really, really value him in the organization. And I do hope that I can offer it to other folks in the agency. We haven't written up a policy yet and figured out how to make it work, but that is something that I'm thinking about. That is so good to hear. Thank you, David. And I know you've got a press conference in less than 15 minutes, so I'm going to jump to the off the map question. And as sometimes happens, it's not too far off the map. As you think about the sabbatical that you took, is there a moment that really stands out to you? This moment that suddenly you stepped back, you saw yourself and you thought, wow, this is this is a great experience. I think that the traveling that I did in Europe, I was gone for basically like a month. and it was a really great opportunity to sort of see a day-to-day world that was very different than what I had been experiencing with the hustle and bustle of every day at the center. And I think that it made me want to have more of those experiences and think that, you know, this is fine for 12 weeks that everyone lives and the organization is going to be fine. It made me lean into thinking like, you know, I probably can take a month of vacation a year solidly and it would be okay as long as I've planned for that in advance. So it really did make me feel like even though I typically don't have a lot of time to actually take the vacation that I accrue, but it made me feel more comfortable that I could step away having not stepped away for more than a week or so previously. That had to have been a great moment when you're like, oh, I can take my time. Yeah. If I can be gone for 12 weeks and everything is still there, it's fine. I can certainly be gone for a month. We can work that out. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me and my friends for us to have this conversation about sabbaticals. I always want to make sure that my friends know how they can find you. So here's where you can go. You can find the Sacramento LGBT Center at saccenter.org. They also do the Pride event for the Sacramento area, and you can find that at sacramentopride.org. At those websites, you can find out more about the center. You can get involved if you are in the area. You can get involved with events and advocacy efforts. In fact, the press conference that's about to happen is around advocacy. And you can also get the rundown on Sacramento Pride and all of the events they do throughout the year. So check out saccenter.org and sacramentopride.org. David, thank you again for being on the podcast. It is my pleasure. It's so good to see you. Thank you very much for inviting me. All right, friends. I always want to leave you with two additional episodes. So check these out. Episode 179, Eight Proven Ways to Feel Happier at Work with Bia Bocalandro. And also, if this particular episode on sabbaticals has made you really start to think about them. Check episode 295, Tips for Making Your Dream Sabbatical a Reality with Emily Raskin. You may recall she runs the Bay Area organization that actually funds sabbaticals for organizations in her region. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And you know, the lawyers always make me do the disclaimer. And thanks to ChatGPT, I can make them far more interesting now. So this disclaimer is in the form of tanka poetry, which is a type of Japanese poetry that actually predates the haiku. It has a syllable pattern of 57577. Here it goes. Not a lawyer or CPA am I. No tax or legal words apply. Info only heed this song. 
for tax or law could steer you wrong. Seek a pro, licensed, nearby.